This is Red House Rising, Season 4, Episode 5, The World as We Now Know It. Shikoku Island, Japan, the Shinto shrine above Matsuyama. In stunned horror, his eyes rimmed with tears, Nick watches the skies roiling over Hiroshima, 40 miles across the inland sea. What have we done to ourselves? What have we unleashed? Yokata joins Nick. There were reports. A bomb in development. We've lost Ono. And others so dear. Our pride has driven us mad. For a moment, they stand silently, staring, mesmerized by the maelstrom in the sky over Hiroshima. I'm going. Where? Hiroshima. Nikura, I understand, but what can you accomplish? I will bring medical supplies, water, whatever is needed. Something. I must do something. With this bombing, this weapon, it's the Emperor who must do something. If the fascists don't stop him, and you know they will try. Yukada, you never told me what you did to earn their wrath. I made sure a despicable plan was discovered. They were using anthrax again. Where? In China? An American naval base in San Diego. We have agents across the border in Mexico at a brothel popular with the U.S. Navy men. The anthrax reached our people. But I made sure the Americans learned of the plan and stopped them before they poisoned the city's water supply. You did right, my friend. If they had succeeded, The warmongers in Tokyo knew the Allies would fight on in anger, ignoring any attempt at surrender. I've had enough. There's much to do. I know. Go. Tinian Island. It's the middle of the night, but the U.S. base runs 24 hours. Mike leaves the tarmac and heads inside the intelligence Quonset hut. Mike, I was hoping I'd find you. I'm sorry. Joe's plane. They never reached Kwajalein. Oh, Lord. They've got PBYs looking for them. Last Morse code was garbled, but it seems they were heading south, away from the storm. And nothing heard since? No distress signal? No beacon? No. Mike, I know. It's... Joe is resourceful. She's the best of us. If there's a way through, she will find it. Yeah, I know. Until there isn't a way through. So what do we do? I don't know. Sit tight. Go crazy. They assure me they've got search teams, support ships. It's a complete effort. I'm so sorry, Mike. I'm heartsick. Yeah. For Roger, all of them. Come on, Joe. We said no crashes. 
Fumiko is down in the courtyard of Nick's home, trying to calm the crowd of mostly women and children. Everyone, listen! We still don't have hard facts. Please try to calm each other. More bombs are coming. Everybody says... They never drop one bomb. Where can we go now? Always Where more bombs. Everyone, listen. Not just Prince. one. Prince Nakora. Nick appears at the courtyard gate, and the crowd rushes to him. Prince, Prince. help us, Prince Nakora. Help us. Nikora. I have family in Hiroshima. I have family. Listen. Listen to me. There is so much we don't know yet. We're organizing medical supplies food, whatever we can spare, and I will fly it there myself and learn all that I can. Nick looks over at Fumiko, her eyes filling with tears. Give me just one moment, everyone. A moment, please. Nick puts his arm around Fumiko and leads her away from the crowd. Nick leads Fumiko inside the house. He was proud to serve General Ono. The general treated him well. He was happy in his work. Oh, Fumiko, we don't know. Of course we do. Rio, my son, was a brave soldier. And he died in battle, just like his father. I've got you. <gasps> oh, Rio. I'm so sorry, my dear one, my dearest. Truk Lagoon, Western Islands, with Mother Sapu handling the tiller, Joe, Nino, and Pete Kelly row a longboat away from Toll Island toward the east and the Japanese emplacements. Here. I think here. So you think you know the blade you're looking for? Hamilton Standard. Controllable pitch. Nino, you were always Uncle Walt's favorite student. When the Japanese found out what he knew, they put him to work. No mercy, their slave boy mechanic. I was their slave, but I learned more because of it. So now, let's fix your plane, Miss Joe. Yeah, let's do that. Joe and Nino strap tools to their belts and roll off the side of the boat into the water. Nino leads Joe down toward a sunken Japanese destroyer. They descend through a gaping hole in its bow. On the other side, spread out before them, are at least 20 different planes sitting on the seabed at odd angles. Nino spots the plane he wants and signals Joe to follow him. He swims away, then slows and looks back, expecting to have to wait for Joe, but she's right with him. In fact, she sees the plane he's thinking of and takes off in that direction so that Nino has to keep up. Up above in the boat, Pete Kelly peers down into the crystal blue water. Nope, they're gone. Can't see them. You know, that girl, that woman, my Josephine, she grew up in this lagoon. Did she now? Daughter of a missionary, was it? Orphan. At six years young. Her Aunt Mary, rest her soul, dead now. And her Uncle Walt, who was so good to Nino. They were pilots, like our Miss Josephine, all of them. Very brave. Sorry, I'm a little distracted. I've seen Nino hold his breath where I would have passed out, believe you me. But you're Josephine. When's the last time she had to hold a breath like Nino? Joe and Nino have just succeeded in opening the hub of the propeller they've picked out when three black-tipped reef sharks glide by. 
Joe and Nino grin at each other, then go back to sliding the propeller blades out of the open hub. They each take a blade and begin to swim for the surface when one of the reef sharks floats up with them, tracking them. Joe stops swimming and faces the shark. It swims toward Joe and at the last moment bumps the blade she's carrying with its nose and swims off. Nino turns his blade to use it as a weapon, but Joe signals no. The shark comes around and swims up to Joe again. It hovers closer and closer, the shark staring down Joe, until Joe bops it in the nose with her fist, and the shark slashes away. I'm sorry, I've enjoyed your company, Mother Sapu, I really have. But little Josephine is my ride home, unless she drowns. Mr. Kelly, you're forgetting these are children of Tangaroa. Children of the sea god, are they? You may not believe it. Children of this lagoon can breathe underwater. A gift from Tangaroa centuries ago. But if you stay down too long and you starve your brain of oxygen, can you fly? I don't know. Maybe you can. Christ almighty, there they are. Joe and Nino float to the surface beside the boat. <sighs> there you are. <sighs> Hallelujah, children of Tangaroa. You feel all right, you two? <laughs> Success. Mr. Kelly, here. Nina lifts the aluminum blade to the surface, and Pete Kelly grabs it and lifts it into the boat. Nino clambers into the boat. Here, Miss Joe. Nino takes the other prop blade from Joe, and Joe climbs into the boat. Mr. Kelly did not believe you can breathe underwater. I was worried as all. Down there a long time you were. Oh yes, Miss Joe can breathe underwater. And she can talk to sharks. Sharks? One particular shark. Just ran into an old friend. <laughs> <laughs> she ran into me. <laughs> Chongxin, China. Mei Ling descends a narrow road toward the river. She looks around and turns into a low-slung building and follows a corridor to a back room and a small bar where people, mostly old men, are drinking and gambling. Mailing crosses to the bartender. I'm looking for Reggie Powell. She's not here. I can see that. Where can I find her? Ask the wind. How would I know? A slight figure at the end of the bar gets up and quickly slips out a door and back. Where is she going? Hey, I have a question for you. What do you charge? My charge is I blow your balls off with this. Mailing opens her coat so the bartender can see that she's pointing a cocked 45 at his balls. Who was that? Friend of Reggie's. Mailing stares down the bartender, then hurries out the back door. It's dark. It's humid, it's foggy, it's a Changshin summer night. The young woman who slipped away from the bar crosses a courtyard that leads to a passageway and a set of winding steps. She descends the steps and reaches a busy street. She immediately dives between cars and then disappears down a row of food shops. She makes her way through the crowds outside the shops. She slows and looks over her shoulder. When she turns around, Mei Ling stands in her way. I need your help, Jen. The woman tries to run, but Mei Ling grabs her and pulls her through the doorway of an abandoned shop. Inside, an ancient-looking woman sits alone, smoking a cigarette. Excuse us. 
Mei-Ling shoves the young woman out the back of the shop into an alley. She flashes the 45. I don't know where she is. I don't want to hurt you. I tell you, she's gone. No one knows where. All right, let's say I believe you. Then you're the one I need to speak with. I have nothing to say. Stop. Reggie used to call you her ace in the hole. Jen knows all, she used to say. Yeah, not now. Not anymore. That's fine, because what I want to know about happened three years ago. What happened? The assassination of Alice Chen. Alice's sister, Liang, has been told it was the U.S. that ordered her assassination, not Mao or Cheng. And the assassin was an American spy masquerading as a Chinese professor. You've been talking to Russians. Why? Why do you say that? The assassin was not an American spy. He was a Russian asset turned by the Soviets. A Russian spy? If not a spy, then someone they were blackmailing. So, Russia targeted Alice? Targeted Alice and also sent a warning to Madame Sun and Cho Enlai. Not a bad trick. But Russia, I don't understand. Why? Russia wanted, well, still wants, a divided China. Let Mao and Chang fight it out while the Soviets use both sides to their advantage and increase their power in Asia. But America, they supported the ascendancy of Madame Sun and still would, because a united China with no civil war is what America wants. All right. I see. Uh, do you know a Director Volkov of the Soviet Interior Ministry? Anya Volkov? Apex Predator. Careful. She bites. Do you think she had something to do with Alice's death? If she's the one telling you it was the Americans, logic dictates. I didn't need logic. I could smell it on her. Can I go now? Mailing? Go. Yes. Mailing? The professor who murdered Alice, Wu Kuang Di? Reggie said he was a bad gambler, left many angry creditors when he was killed, and no doubt the Russians knew of his problem. Compromat, they call it. Compromising material. If Volkov knows Liang was part of Alice's plan? Yes, she does. And she demands more and more of Liang's attention, while Liang willingly complies. Of course she complies. With Mao purging anyone in Yenon he suspects of disloyalty, Volkov could cause real harm. To Madame Sun, to you, and especially to Liang. I understand. It's clear what she's doing and what needs to be done. Hawaii midday. The dirt airfield on the outskirts of Honolulu, where Walt keeps his Fairchild monoplane. Walt and Daniel shield their eyes from the sun and watch as Maru lands the Fairchild and taxis toward them. Now remember our secret, Danny boy. I know it's a secret. Right, a very big secret. Any problems? Nope. The delivery was fine. They held me up for a while because they thought something was missing from their order. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. No, it turned out fine. It was all there. But I ran into Mrs. Kagawa. 
You don't mean it. She's still working for the sisters at the hospital, and she likes her job. She said her daughter is taller than her now, and with the war ending, her husband will be home soon from the camp in Arizona. Isn't that wonderful? Well, God bless her. God bless her. Daniel, have you been helping Uncle Walt clean out the shed? We have a secret. Yes, we do. It's for graduating. What? Uh, Daniel, shh. It's a secret. Oops. What's a secret? He's giving you his plane. Oh, for Pete's sake. When it's a secret, that means you don't tell people. Uncle Walt, what's going on? Well, I've been thinking about this a long time, and uh, I want to give you the fair child. You deserve it. And I know Ruby feels the same way with all the help you gave her at the club. Uh, Uncle Walt, that's so generous. That's too generous. Ah, nonsense. You did well in school. You love to fly. Uh, We think you should have a plane. Maru throws her arms around Walt. It's okay, Maru. It's okay. Thank you so much. (laughs) Of of course. I'm so happy, Uncle Walt. Uh, You know how I feel about you. (laughs) And you've got Kai back in Honolulu, and the club is finally opening. So tonight, we'll celebrate. Yes, we will. We will celebrate. It's the big reopening of Ruby's Club on Waikiki, and the place is full of soldiers and civilians in a festive mood. Ruby and Walt sit at a table with Ruth, Ichiro, Sue Ann, and Mano, all of them dressed to the nines. He really is good, that sax player. And he's a baby. He's 19 or 20. He's a corporal in the Signal Corps. Soon to be retired from the armed services, no doubt. Like so many men, now that this damned war is finally over. Not yet. They haven't surrendered yet. No, but... It's surrender or mass suicide after Hiroshima. Oh, Dad, let's not tonight. She's right. Sorry, I started it. Well, I, for one, am ecstatic tonight. Ruth, you told me you knew a good band, and you surely did. They are jumping. They're really something. Ruby, your club is just what Waikiki needed. Thanks to Ruth. To Ruth Lee. To Ruth Ruth Lee. Lee. Slancha. Hipa, hipa. (laughs) Couldn't have done it without you. Happy to call you my friend. (laughs) Thank you, Ruby. Happy for your friendship as well. The only question is, is Ichiro as good a dancer as he is a doctor? That's a trick question, isn't it? Let's find out. Dance with me? I'd love to. Mike pilots a B-29 at 20,000 feet over Osaka, Japan. All right, gentlemen, we've reached our primary. Lieutenant Mitchell, we're ready for bombing flight corrections. All yours, Bob. Got it, Mike. If they didn't believe us before, the A-bomb's got to do it now. Right, Skip? Let's hope, huh? The word must have gotten around about Hiroshima. Lieutenant Mitchell sounds the bombing radio tone signal through the intercom. The B-29's bomb bay doors open. Here we go. 
Once more, we're failing. Bombs away. Mike's B-29 drops 500-pound M-16 firebomb canisters over Osaka. At 4,000 feet, the canisters fly open and send a shower of leaflets into the air. To the Japanese people, America asks that you take immediate heed of what we say on this leaflet. We are in possession of the most destructive explosive ever devised by man. A single one of our newly developed atomic bombs is actually the equivalent in explosive power to what 2,000 of our giant B-29s can carry on a single mission. Make inquiry as to what happened to Hiroshima when just one atomic bomb fell on that city. Before using this bomb to destroy every resource of the military by which they are prolonging this useless war, we ask that you now petition the emperor to end the war. Otherwise, we shall resolutely employ this bomb to promptly and forcefully end the war. Ruby's club on Waikiki is still going strong. Ruth spots the sax player headed for the bandstand with the other musicians and waves him over to the table. Oh, here he is. Everyone, this is Corporal Dex Overstreet. You've made some fans here, Dex. We are you so are out. Wow, you can go. You are an amazing sax player. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you all. That's very generous. Ruby, this is a dream come true, to be playing down here in Waikiki. Where'd you learn to play like that, son? It was no place like this, I can tell you. My mother was a classical pianist, so at first, I ran as far as I could from that. I bought that old sax, then the war came along and I found myself on a tropical island in the band of my dreams. Well, we are so glad to have you for as long as you're here. I'm not going anywhere. Hawaii suits me just fine. Island people, the most beautiful in the world. Good. Glad to hear it. Oh, look. Hey, there they are. It's Kai and Maru. About time. Speaking of beautiful island people. Kai is in his marine dress uniform. Maru looks like she's glowing. They make their way to the table. Hey, you made it. Sorry we're late. My fault. I had to make a visit. Sister Elaine. Of course. She's been on cloud nine since they found you. Come here, son. You're going to get a proper Irish welcome. After what you've been through? Walt throws ah. his arms around Kai and hugs him warmly. We're so glad you're home, Kai. We're just so glad you made it. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Ruby. Hi, Maru. This is Dex Overstreet. He's quite a sax player, we've discovered. Good to meet you. I'm Kai Okana. <laughs> okay, that's my cue. I've got to get up there and do some playing, but if you two are still around, we should have a drink. Sure. Nice to meet you. Uh, so nice. What a good guy. Go get him, Dex. He's a nice young fella. <laughs> Let a man go play. He's wonderful. Hiroshima, Japan, August 10th, four days after the bombing. Nick has been walking for hours through the wasteland of Hiroshima. He approaches a young man who sits alone, watching an emergency crew search a pile of rubble for survivors. Excuse me, have they found anyone? 
No. No one living. Nick can see now that one of the young man's arms hangs limp, and half his face has been scalded raw. This was Second Army headquarters, yes? No more Second Army. Hmm. I see. Wait. Help me. Of course. What can I... Kill me. Shoot me. Please. The young man lifts a revolver from his lap. I can't myself. I am weak. I'm afraid. No, 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 no. Here. Can you walk? Nick takes the revolver and puts his arm around the young man. Please. Kill me. I want to join my family. Your family would want you to live. I know this is unspeakable, but you will rise again. We all will. Now come with me. That's it. After the bombing, survivors fled Hiroshima. But emergency and medical help eventually began arriving. Field hospitals were opening in parts of the city. Here, this way. Nick has to support the young man as they walk toward a small tent where people are being treated. Excuse me, can you help us? No, get away! That's enough. Easy. Shh. Take him around there. You'll see. Thank you. Here we go. Nick and the young man go around to the far side of the tent, where there are empty cots and more nurses. Can we help you? Yes. He needs medical help. All right. Come with me. I want the gun. No, you don't. You're stronger than you think. Okay, son. Come with me. I can help you. The nurse helps the young man to a cot. Nick looks around and sees a soldier, his uniform stained with blood and fluids, scrubbing dirty cots behind the tent. Pardon me, Sergeant. Can I give you this pistol? I... uh... The soldier stops what he's doing and looks around. Rio! Rio, you're, you're alive! Yes. It's Nick Nikura! Yes. I... How, how, how is this possible? Your friend, General Ono. He sent me to the country with something for his wife. I was returning when it happened. Oh, real. The general once said he preferred to die in a blast than suffer incarceration or execution. Oh, no, not like this. Not like this. He was good to me. So, Nick puts his arms around Rio and holds him. He was. He was Rio. Red House Rising is written and directed by Chris Cote and Dale Carey. Episode 6 is next. <laughs>